This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. This is Sports Charlotte, the podcast about sports in Charlotte. I'm Herb White. I'm editor-in-chief of the Charlotte Post. And with me, once again, is Cameron Williams. What's up, Cameron? Not much. Just uh, getting over uh, some some Christmas holiday, you know, food coma type stuff. And uh, mm. ready to talk more sports. I mean, we got a lot on, you know, Duke's Mayo Bowl was just yesterday. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about. So, let's get right into it. Absolutely. So, you went to the Mayo Bowl. There are a lot of mayonnaise references out there and plenty of product being slung around. Uh, but there was a football game in the meantime. Um, At least the first half of a football uh, game. Yeah. What are your impressions having seen that? Uh, Carolina just, you know, I think they just didn't, a lot A lot of the team just didn't seem like they were ready to play this game. And, I mean, I know everybody, you know, on that team would probably differ with my opinion. But it just, when, you, when you're not playing at full strength, even though, I mean, they weren't down due to injury, you know, you had seven players that had opted out of this game. Um, for various reasons, whether to go to NFL draft, transfer portal, what have you. And they just, yeah. the first half they played pretty solid. Um, redshirt freshman quarterback Connor Harrell really played well, but then the second half um, it was all West Virginia. Um, turnovers plagued the Tar Heels. Uh, they lost the turnover battle 3-1. to one. So it just it wasn't a, wasn't a good second half, and even Coach Mac Brown said that if they didn't win the turnover battle, he, you know, he didn't feel good about that game. So... As in, as in the result, he was right. Yeah. You mentioned the loss of players, either through transfers or preparation for the NFL draft. Uh, to me, this is the new reality of college football, college sports, period, I think, especially when it comes to the revenue producers, uh, men's basketball and football. You're going to have more of this. And my question to you is, have we now crossed the portal into bowl games just don't make a whole bunch of sense anymore because you've got player movement that 10, 20 years ago was unheard of. I think right now, and I mean, this will all change in a year's time, um, but I think right now, and you know, this year specifically, the only games that have mattered have been the New Year's or the either the New Year's Eve or the New Year's Bowls because those are the games that advance you to the national championship. Um, well, and you know there's a couple other ones in there, but as far as the games that matter to potentially win a championship, it's only been the uh, the college football playoff bowl games. Um, but like I said, that's going to change next year with the expansion, and there's going to be a lot more bowl games that are considering you know, bowl games that will advance you to another bowl game and advance you to so you can win two or three bowl games in a single season. But yeah, I mean it just it seems like they've lost their luster because I mean it's not really winning you anything. And in the era like you're talking about with you know people going to the transfer portal and a lot of people leaving college early to go to the draft, they don't care. I mean, it's all about the money. I mean, to, to put it just bluntly, they don't care. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna do what's best for their future, and that is fi- financial stability. So yeah, yeah, and you really can't blame these young people for going out and saying, "Well, you know what? I have the one future. I may as well get paid for it." Yeah. So there is that. But on the other hand, between the oversaturation of bowls, I mean, there's like forty one of them. <laughs> In Division One, FBS or 
whatever it's called. And you've got a bunch of six and six teams running around playing at these games. It's like, other than the only benefit that I can see for the vast majority of bowl games moving forward is the practice periods. Yeah. You, you pull your team together and get it ready for the next season. That's the benefit to bowl season. Because if you're talking about a bowl game with a pair of six and six teams, who's showing up for that? Where's the juice in that game? Yeah, and, and there's – I think there's something to be said with some of the, the early, early bowl games, which you mentioned the six and six teams. I mean, they're, they're playing for something to kind of cap off their season you know, on a high note. But when you start getting to where we're at kind of right now, where the you know seven to ten ranked or tenth ranked teams in the country are playing, who just barely missed the top four, they're not playing for anything. Yeah, it's like they've had a great year. They just missed the chance to play for a national championship. What we if I if I'm on that team, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, what are we playing for? You know, we've had a great year. We just barely missed out. So. I mean, we can just end it right there, you know. And the best example of that, or the worst example, is Florida State, Georgia. <laughs> it's like, okay, you were number one for the vast majority of the year. You lose one game to Alabama. All of a sudden, you're on the outs. Florida State is undefeated. Yeah. But missing their most important player. And they're on the outs. Who would care between in those two camps about playing each other? It's like there is nothing to play for, even though you're talking about two teams with one loss between them. Yeah, I mean, neither of them care. I mean, to, if we're talking team morale, it's probably not very good with either of those squads because, like you mentioned, you know, they're both five and six respectively in Georgia and Florida State, so... And they, and they both felt like they got a raw into the deal. Um, now, do I think, uh, you know, yeah, you only lost one game, but how do you keep the SEC champion out of the, you know, they're considered the, you know, the elite conference in football. How do you keep them out of the uh, the playoff, the, at least that conference's winner, which was Alabama, and they did win the last, you know, the SEC championship. So it's, it's a hard thing because, you know, they both lost just one game, you know, Alabama and Georgia. And then Florida State, you know, they, they go undefeated and they win their last two or three games without Jordan Travis, their quarterback. So they've got a bigger argument, than, you know, in my opinion, than Georgia does. Um, but then you also look at the, the fine print in the playoff committee's rules about how they can deem that if a team is without, you know, a coach or a player that would have a significant impact in the game, then they can keep them out even if they do – you know, meet the eye test better per se, but both teams got a raw deal, and both teams really won't be gearing up to uh, to play that game. Well, it's the raw deal bowl. <laughs> it's the raw deal bowl. I can actually rename it. <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting, and I guess, like you said, there's going to be those changes where you've got an expanded playoff, and maybe two or three bowl games will now get some extra luster and juice that they wouldn't ordinarily have with a good with the current configuration of bowl mm-hmm. games. Um, the one thing that you can't get around, at least these days, and I know we talked about the Mayo Bowl and, and college football and the bowl system, period, and it goes to all sports and especially football, is officiating. And you wanted to talk about this especially because 
it obviously has been nagging at you. So, so what's gotten your goat? Just consistency with officiating is something that you know I see it across all levels, from covering high school to college to even viewing NFL games. If you're going to call something, you know, say say you're going to call one thing a pass interference, and then some, you know, another play happens in a different game that you see. I mean, it's almost a carbon copy type of play, and then it's not called pass interference in the next. Some call it human error, which obviously it is, but there's got to be some kind of consistency, and refs have to be held accountable. Um, you know, we, we get paid to do our job as reporters. They get paid to do their job as officials. Do it to the best of your ability. Um, yeah, I just I see it across, like I said, all levels, but, you know, the NFL, we, you know, if we're – kind of segue into the Panthers. I mean, you look at that game against Green Bay last week. What's a catch and what's not? I mean, you have – they deemed what was – I mean, there's still shots of the ball touching the ground out of bounds when they said the Green Bay player caught the ball. Well, is it really a catch? I mean, if if what you're saying – I mean, if Calvin Johnson 10-plus years ago didn't maintain control of the catch throughout the process of – hitting the ground, rolling over. You talk about Des Bryant the year after that in the playoffs. He caught the ball, um, made, made a football move, or his knee hit the ground, excuse me, and then he rolled over. The ball pops up. Isn't it the same thing? Those two weren't catches, but last week's was. Where's the consistency across the board? I mean, I know we're talking about years spent, but still, if one's a catch, the other two have to be. Well, the like I said, I think the NFL in all leagues, there is no hard and fast rule. A lot of this is open to interpretation, and humans interpret things in different ways. And I, I understand what you're saying, but there is that. There's always going to be that human element as long as you have human officials. And I would even say that if you had AI or some other artificial officiating crew out there, it would screw it up too. Yeah. And so, you know, you the best you can do is train your officials to the point where it's like less likely to screw it up. You you want to improve the odds of getting it right on a consistent basis. We're not quite there yet, and frankly. Yeah, I think that if you're talking about sports, in my own selfish way, I hope we never get there because that adds an extra element because nothing sells like fury. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. My, my team was screwed out of a first down, yeah. a touchdown, an interception. Well, don't what get happened? me wrong. I'm not saying that refs totally control games because that, that would be completely just dumb of me to say. Because, I mean, there's so many plays within a football game or so many plays within a basketball game that can impact the results. But when you're talking about a real close game and then the refs botch a call that could impact a team winning or losing the game, that's when it just becomes glaringly obvious. Like, how do you mess that up? Yeah. I mean, when it, it, you talk about the, the case of Carolina. Yeah, Eddie Pinheiro did not do well. Two, 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 two extra, extra points. points missed. And so you you look at that, it's like, yeah, that could be the outcome in the game. But I mean they Green Bay drives right down the field and it's like that that wasn't a catch, you know, based on previous examples. And so I just 
I think in critical moments, refs have to be really careful on what they choose to call or omit to call. But the other side of that argument is also length of games. And if yeah. you have constant interruptions, let's get it right in terms of whether it was a catch or not a catch or in the grasp or targeting or whatever. Game goes three and a half, four hours. Who's going to sit around for that? And you know it's all about those greenbacks. And <laughs> if folks lose their penchant for watching the game, that hits everybody in the pocket. And you know the folks in New York are not, not going to go for that. But to me, the other side of it is perhaps the NFL and some of these other leagues that, that have done it can go to uh, basically – a sky official. Uh, yeah. The USFL did it uh, recently where you can have someone up in a booth who will buzz down automatically and say, you need to change that call because that's not what I'm seeing here. And so I think that that is something that a league like the uh, NFL really needs to look at because the action is so fast and it's so close until you probably need a pair of eyes upon high to help these folks out. And I think that officials are doing the best they can. For the most part, they get stuff right. Yeah. But you can also make an argument that, for instance, on every play, there's holding. Offense and defense. There is. And, you know, there can be. But it's like, you know, example I was telling you earlier, um, and yeah, I even saw it in the, the San Francisco Baltimore game this uh, past Monday on Christmas. But like you're talking about one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in the league, and Micah Parsons hadn't drawn a holding call in since October. But he's Micah Parsons for Pete's sake. So so he's supposed to be playing with a disadvantage of being able to play through holding. I, I was watching Joey Bosa get held by the Ravens, or not Joey Bosa, uh, Nick Bosa, uh, his brother, and I'm just like. Uh, you've got to. I mean, there, there's supposed to be someone watching the line of scrimmage and watching all this go down. It's like, how do you not see it? How does the back judge who's sitting there watching that not see it? I mean, when you're coming through the line, I mean, someone's got his hand wrapped around his neck. It doesn't, it doesn't appear to be in the shoulder pads to me. Well, yeah. But now, the other side of that, and I know you're too young to remember this, but there used to be a time before the NFL opened up its holding rules where offensive linemen had to have their hands into their body. You could not extend or grab. This was in the 70s and 80s. And then when they, because you would look at like the old photographs where the offensive linemen would have their hands up to their chest. That was their, that was their blocking position. But now the game has been liberalized to where these guys can extend all over the place, and that's how you get all that holding. So part of this is baked into the rules. So you're saying some of Lawrence Taylor's sacks back in the day were a little overinflated? Yeah, because because once, uh, once you took the handcuffs off those offensive linemen, you know, they went wild. And then... The, the emphasis was always on opening up the offense. So in order to do that, you had to give the offensive lineman that room to do some things that resulted in holding. Of course, now an obvious hold is more likely to get flagged these days. But back in the day, 
defenders had all the advantages because those offensive linemen were handicapped because yeah. you had to literally play it close to the chest. Well, now it's seeming like the, the you know the linebackers and the defensive linemen are almost handicapped because if you're allowed to if you're allowed to literally hold to where I mean you got a guy clothesline coming through a line. Well, it was worse back in the day because you could literally mug a receiver at the line and not be penalized. And it, it just goes to show you the the trend transiency or uh, that's not even a word you know, transcendent you know NFL rules it's just like well give the league credit they yeah. understood it's all about offense who wants to see a 10-7 game on a consistent basis well I mean mm-hmm. you know, go back to the Super Bowl a few years ago well, between the Rams and the Patriots ain't nobody well, watched that game yeah because it was boring it was boring yeah. you want you want to generate that interest you've got to open it up and if it looks like a video game these days, it's okay. It's just the way it is. You know, but we're not going back to the fifties and sixties where the rules lean more heavily towards the defense. Man, it wasn't nothing like a twelve ten slobber knocker, man. <laughs> well, especially when somebody got not smoothed out. But again, <laughs> you also have these other things that are in play. Player safety, for instance. Yeah. So I understand where you're coming from. But trust me on this, it's all baked into the rules. Yeah. <laughs> what what are rules these days, right? Moving on to the Panthers, you'd already broached that subject. Bryce Young actually played probably his best game as a yeah. professional uh, in that loss to Green Bay. I was there and I saw it. It was like, well, you know. And I don't mind telling anybody you know, who would listen because it's obvious he doesn't look like a prototypical quarterback, <laughs> even on the collegiate level, much less the professional level. But he looked very comfortable, um, especially in the second half of that game against Green Bay and played real well. First uh, game with more than 300 yards passing. Let's see, 23 of 35, 312, still sacked twice, which is an issue. Uh, Surprise at this point? No, not (laughs) at all. Not at all. And and a couple of touchdowns. And couple that with the win against Atlanta, uh, where he took them downfield for the game-winning walk-off field goal by Eddie Pinheiro, who turned (laughs) right around after being named NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, goes out and blows a couple of extra point kicks against the Packers. So, if you're the Panthers... Or more importantly, if you're a Panthers fan, are you encouraged by Bryce Young over the last couple of weeks? How can you not be? I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, last week on this, you know, on the podcast, we were talking about how you know you don't really make something out of you know two teams that are like the Falcons and the Panthers playing each other. But when one thing I said was when you start seeing the consistency, and he even improved upon what he did against the Falcons. And, I mean, the the play where he's running right, and he throws the sidearm ball, you know, touchdown in the end zone, I believe it was to Chark. I mean, good gracious. Yeah. What a play that was. And I'm just, I'm looking at that, I'm like, he's he's, he's starting to get it. I think he's starting to approach, I mean, it, too bad it's taken him the entire season. But behind that offensive line, I couldn't, but I can't really blame him. And the other side of that is, and I don't think you can underestimate it, there's a different voice in his ear now as Thomas Brown is the play caller 
And I think that maybe, just maybe, those uh, offensive skill players are starting to get the memo as well. And you've got to be able to help him out. But no doubt a lot of his struggles were self-induced. But it's the NFL. Very few rookie quarterbacks come in and like the place up. I mean, Aikman didn't do well. Um, Manning didn't do well. So, I mean, there's still hope for this kid. I mean, there's still a lot of hope. Uh, Yeah, you, you can't call a player a bust until you're probably three, four years in. They can always be a disappointment. And I think that that would be fair to say, okay, that's a pretty disappointing rookie season. But I mean, like I I just gave you, you know, I just gave us two examples of Hall of Famers that went on to win two and three Super Bowls. Not saying that's going to happen for Bryce. So don't don't necessarily get your hopes up. But (laughs) there's two, you know, examples of guys that didn't have great first years who obviously turned their careers around. Yeah. And there are those exceptions. Dan Marino for instance, came yeah. in, had a Hall of Fame career, never won a Super Bowl, but took the Dolphins to a Super Bowl in fairly short order, and they were never heard from again in the championship game. So, you know, there is... That sounds that. like Cam Newton to me. Well, <laughs> Cam Newton had a, had a really good rookie year, too. Oh, that's uh, true. And he just didn't have enough weapons or... But, again, you know, I'll tell you and I'll tell anybody else, he... Covered up a lot of issues in that office during his time at Carolina. But, uh, yeah, some rookies are the exception to the rule. But Bryce Young, uh, he was the rule in terms of those first-year struggles for quarterbacks because it's the toughest position to play in football. It's the one that requires the most knowledge. And it's not all about physical assets. You've got to be able to... Not only know the offense, but you've got to lead people. Yeah. And some of these cats just aren't up to the task coming straight out of college. Yeah, I don't question Bryce's head knowledge. Um, the kid seems smart as a whip when it comes to just the, the schematics of the game. But there's a lot that goes into a game of football. The, the kid needs protection. Yeah. I, I know I'm beating a dead horse here. I've said it so many times on this show already, but you got to have protection. I mean, you can't just – it can't be a free-for-all coming through that line. And <laughs> They've had a lot has, of that. It has been – I mean, I was watching – the Green Bay game is a great example. I mean, I'm watching, you know, Equator just get blown off the line. I'm like, what is going on here? It, it's like he doesn't even – it's like he stands up and he's just there. It's like – yeah. yeah. What's he doing? It's like a stop sign that you're not paying attention to. You're <laughs> just going right on through into traffic and causing damage. And to me, that may be the the most disappointing player on this roster this year because he came into the league you know, with a lot of fanfare, had a really good rookie season, and now the wheels just look like they've come off. So I don't know if if his if he's taking a step back because of something that he's doing or is it because of coaching or something that we just don't know but it is not being good he's he's been getting whipped a lot this year yeah. I and mean, i don't want to crack on the the guy too much i mean he's good as gold you know great, Absolutely. great with the fans and just great with people and media a but, good guy but i mean there's a lot of good guys that are you know that struggle sometimes in the in the league and you know across all professional sports or even you know, collegiate life. sports so I think I mean I think he can figure it out, and I hope he does. Um, 
just because, like we mentioned, you know, he is such a good guy, but but beat it's not been a good beat. year. Yeah, <laughs> and he he's gotten beat a lot. Yeah. So let's roll to our last segment, and this is new with the podcast. We're just going to have some fun since we're at year's end. Let's do New Year's predictions. Let's just throw a couple out there, off the cuff. You first. We're going. We're going Charlotte sports New Year's predictions. Okay, let's let's do I'll Charlotte, do and then let's just do sports in general. Okay, new New Year's predictions. Next year, the Panthers will have a winning record. Ooh, that's pretty bold, considering we don't know who the coach is. But I think they'll figure it out, and I I, I hope. That Tepper will take a little bit of a step back, like we've talked about. Let the coaching do. Let the coaches do the coaching, and I think they have the the talent on the roster. Assuming they have a good NFL draft, filling some key pieces on that offensive line, defense stays healthy to produce a winning season. Possibly with the NFC South being as putrid as it is, possibly win the NFC South. Hmm. Okay, that's a that's a good one. Uh, what about in general? Or was that the in general? Well, I mean, that, that could be. Yeah, that that's a good in general one. Yeah. What what what's yours? Oh, I thought we were gonna do two. I thought you oh, had a okay. second one. Well, I'm trying to think. Ah, the Charlotte Forty ers are gonna get back to bowl eligibility. They're gonna win seven games next year. What? Seven? Huh? Now that now that they're recruiting the right style of players, got some real good coaches coming in. Defense was solid last year. You know, obviously, Coach Osborne's going to be back. I think they've got tools in place. Now can the coaches just get them to where they need to be? I think they can do it. Okay. All right. All right. That's that's really good. For me, I will say. I'm going to – Charlotte FC will make the MLS playoffs next year in Dean Smith's first year as coach. With a winning record? With a winning record. Yeah, not a whole bunch of ties ties. or draws as the European football fans like to call this stuff. Um, I think that uh, his experience from the English Premier League will serve him well. And uh, even from the from the comments that he's made in his media availability, he sounds like, well, you know what? I'm just here to let it all hang out and, and have some fun. He just sounds like the type of person who is loose enough to say, it's not going to be overly serious. I know who I'm working for, and we're just going to plow right on ahead and play some winning soccer and make it in. So that would be my prediction. I watch him go out and blow it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that that is one. Um, and the other prediction is I will throw it out there and say that the uh, hmm. Let's see. What's another one? 
I think that uh, Johnson C. Smith, we're talking about college football again. Smith wins eight games this year coming up. And maybe even win the Seattle Blaze South. And I know that that's Maurice Flowers. Bold. <laughs> if you are if you are listening to this, do not let me down. But yes, I think that what he's doing in the recruiting end of things, they already have a really good defense. They are one stud quarterback away from making that prediction come true. A stud quarterback and some health. You've got those. I think they're more than capable of doing it. So we'll see what happens. That's my prediction. So do you want to finish this off by doing a New Year's uh, college football playoff bowl prediction? Uh, and, then, and then give your champion. Oh, a champion, huh? Yeah, who wins the the first you know two games and then the champion between the two winners. Oh, okay. I will say Michigan and Washington. <laughs> and Michigan wins it all. So we're going completely opposite <laughs> here. You you've got you've got chalk and then chalk again. I've got I've got Alabama and Texas and dog walks. I think they I think right now Alabama and Texas are playing well, and if you give Nick Saban, who a lot of people consider one of the best coaches of all time, you know, two, three weeks to prepare for a team, look out. And I understand that, and also understanding that Jim Harbaugh has a way of messing you up when it comes to huge games. The huger the game, the more likely you are to, yeah. to, to get a power failure. But I think that Michigan – if Michigan plays Michigan football, they can beat Alabama. Yeah, but Alabama's so so tough stopping the run. I mean, I that, that. their big plays given up this year have been in the past game. And there you go. And Mr. McCarthy, who only throws for about a buck eighty a game, I don't know if he can do that. Well, but it depends on what he is allowed to do. And if Alabama is geared primarily to jam the run. It opens up new lanes, and yeah. I think J.J. McCarthy is capable of exploiting that. And Possibly. let's face it, they've blown out so many people this year. It's like, well, you know what? He doesn't have to do that. But Now, Coram, Coram's definitely the best running back that Alabama will face at this point. Yeah. Blake Coram's a stud. And um, they have a really good offensive line. And just because you know something's coming doesn't necessarily no, guarantee that you can stop it. Yeah. And a little Charlotte tie there. You know, Blake Coram was uh, – he played for Biff Pogey at St. Francis. but uh, Who didn't? All right. <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, so like I said, I'm going Alabama. I'm going Texas. And I think Alabama wins against Texas in a close one. But – uh, Alabama avenges their early season loss, their long loss of the season uh, to Texas earlier in the year. Can you imagine the ratings if that were to happen? Oh, I mean, I mean, think about. I mean, if we're talking ratings, that's what that's what everybody wants. You know, they want the rematch and all that stuff. But yeah, we'll see. Um, no. I, I think Michigan and Alabama will be probably the closest game, 
I mean, and, and no disrespect to Washington, but I just think Texas right now just is going to overpower them. And that's why I think that Washington is going to win that game because they've got the best quarterback in there, and they certainly have the best receivers. And with Washington, they can get into a shootout with anybody and win it. So yeah. that's why I'm taking them. And I'm not going to say it's going to be a low-scoring game because, nope, if Washington's in it, there's going to be points. If but, Washington wins that game, it's going to be like 40-something to 30-something. If Texas wins, I think it's going to be like 28 to 21, maybe 28 to uh, 17. But has anybody really stopped Washington this year? Have, has Washington faced a tough defense this year? They're playing Texas. Now? <laughs> I'm talking about to this point. Come on, Herb. I'm talking about now. Hey, I'm just saying. But anyway, let's just see how the how the predictions go. We'll, we'll come don't back disappoint next week. me. We'll come back next week when Bama's playing Texas in the championship, and I'll do a little... Well, you, you you can thump your chest, and, <laughs> and if you're totally wrong, you can thump yours. Absolutely. And so, for everybody here at uh, Sports Charlotte, we appreciate your listening, and we would really appreciate your feedback if you have it. Give us an you know, give us a shout online uh, at uh, at our social media. Um, you can listen to us on Spotify. SoundCloud, Queen City Podcast Network, of course, Apple Podcasts. We're all over the place. And email us if you have stuff you want to share. My email is herb.l.white at thecharlottepost.com. And Cameron is cameron.williams at thecharlottepost.com. So easy to keep up with. (laughs) So easy. And for everybody here at the office, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.